touchdown. What a return to the NFL. It's been for him. Three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. It's Tuesday, September 17th, and get your dumpster fire memes ready, everybody. Mono week comes to an end for the Jets, and this season appears to be in a disaster situation. They fall to the Browns 23 to three on Monday night. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. He covers the Jets for The Athletic. I'm just here for the drama. The Jets now 0-2, Connor. This stood out to me. Just the second time in 10 years they've started 0-2. That's actually amazing to me. But, I mean, I guess the first question, where do we go from here? Uh, back to the drawing board, I think would kind of be, be my advice here for the Jets, Tim, because this is now spiraling so so far out of control and it's it's you know here's the thing it kind of blows my mind i'm sure we'll get to this in, in a little bit is just how this offense was, was supposed to be like re- renewed and re-energized and it was just more of of kind of just the same boringness but as far as where to go i mean i, I don't know i mean look look sam darnold clearly is not going to be walking through that door within four to six uh weeks at least i mean four is kind of the early the early estimation but it could easily stretch to six seven or eight Uh, The defense is obviously still without C.J. Mosley and probably will be for this weekend against the Patriots as he recovers from that groin injury. Quinn and Williams obviously should play as well. He'll probably he's more likely to play against the Patriots probably than Mosley with that ankle issue. But the Jets still don't have a uh, edge rushing threat outside. And aside from that, you're also talking about a team that 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 right now is dealing with cornerback issues. I mean, there's 72.5 million dollar corner Tremaine Johnson was straight up benched last night against the Browns. So. This team has so many issues, and that's not even getting to the fact that they're onto their third-string quarterback and need to go find a new backup with Simeon out as well. So uh, it really is uh, qu- quite – I-, I don't know if anyone envisioned this start to the season for the Jets. You, you kind of knew it was going to be a little rough uh, because of who they were playing in that, that murderer's row of, of initial six games, but this is just this is just bad. We are going to dig into all that stuff you just mentioned. Let's start at quarterback, though. Sam Darnold obviously out with the mono, so Trevor Simeon gets the start. It didn't last long, but while it lasted, it wasn't good either. I mean, three for six for three yards. Uh, it was it was a struggle, and then second quarter he gets hit by Miles Garrett, who hit everybody on Monday night. Uh, so he leaves the game. In comes Luke Falk, who was elevated from the practice squad on Monday uh, with Darnold out with with the mono. I guess the one blessing is Falk knows this offense like the back of his hand, and I think that showed a little bit. But man. The offense just ugly. So let's start with Folk because Simeon wasn't even in there really long enough for us to, to break down his performance other than that he was bad. But Folk, 20 of 25, 198 yards. Um, he seemed to manage the game decently, yeah. I guess. I mean, what's your impression of Folk? Because it seems like we're going to see a lot of him over the next few weeks. Yes, I, look, honestly, Tim, I, th- I think that those numbers were were probably inflated quite a bit. I mean, they, they came largely in, in garbage time when he was checking it down. He had a couple of nice chunk plays there to Robbie Anderson for 36 yards, uh, Jamison Crowder for 30. I mean, that, that kind of basically made him look like he had a better day than what he did. For the most part, it, it was just 
bad for for Simeon, which is what you'd expect. I mean, the guy's a third-string quarterback that was on the practice squad last week. But, I mean, the Jets had negative 13 passing yards at halftime. At one point in the third quarter, they were up to, like, negative 21. I mean, the quarterbacks couldn't get anything going. Uh, It took him until midway through the third quarter to even attempt a pass beyond the line of scrimmage. And I know that that Adam Gase kind of justified that reasoning by saying that, you know, the protection was an issue and the Jets couldn't block long enough for the plays to set up. But, you know, if that's the case, why don't you you keep someone else in? Keep a tight end in to help out on, on Kelvin Beachman, Miles Garrett, or, or use the running back to chip somebody or something like that. And instead, Gase kind of elected to just dump it off over and over and over again and get these balls uh, out of Simeon's hands and even Falk when he, or uh, Falk's hands and Simeon when he was in there quick. But that battle tactic just didn't work. I mean, it, it threw, again, through three quarters, the Jets had 139 yards of offense. They finished the game two of 14 on third downs. They scored three points. So if it's not working, then figure out something else to do differently and put someone else in there to, to chip the block or, or to, to extend the play a little bit. Or, or, you know, here's a crazy concept too. Get a little creative, right? Get creative. Try to do something. You know, look, no one expected the Jets here to be world beaters with Darnold out. They lost way too much in terms of that quarterback. Darnold's athleticism, his playmaking ability, his mobility, the things that he can do off script, you simply cannot replace, even with a guy like Simeon, who has 24 starts underneath his belt. You're just not going to replace that. But if Adam Gase is the quarterback whisperer, if he is the offensive guru, if he is the innovative mind that the Jets believe he is, which is why they decided to hire him this offseason to bring Sam Darnold and help Sam Darnold reach franchise quarterback potential. You need to be able to do more, even with your second-string quarterback, even with your third-string quarterback, than what the Jets did Monday night. There was no creativity with that offensive scheme. There was no innovation. There was nothing that would have done anything to create a spark. Because when you are down and you are decimated, like the Jets are on offense, without Quincy Anunua, without Sam Darnold, without some of these other players, without Demarius Thomas who left in the first half, you cannot rely on talent and talent alone to win football games. It's just not going to work. The Jets on Monday night were not a more talented team than the Cleveland Browns. So what you need to do is you need to scheme your way to success. And the great uh, offensive minds in this league, the Sean McVays, the Matt Nagy's, the Josh McDaniels, they can scheme their team to success. You throw some trick plays in there to try to steal an offensive point. You, uh, you, you try to get innovative with maybe a different lineup or, or something that the defense has never seen before to try to scheme your way to some form of offensive success. You do not deploy the vanilla scheme that the Jets did. I don't care about the pass rush the Browns had. Leave someone in to chip then. You need to try to do something else. The a perfect example of the flip side of this coin, look at what Greg Williams did to the Cleveland Browns, right? Greg Williams was without C.J. Mosley. Greg Williams was without Quinn and Williams. Greg Williams was without any semblance of a competent NFL starting corner, and he still put together a scheme and a defensive game plan that had Baker Mayfield, aside from that 89-yard slant to, to Odell Beckham, looking like a pedestrian quarterback. That's what a good scheme and a good game plan can do. And then Adam Gase puts out something that, again, negative 13 passing yards at halftime. And at one point in the third, negative 21. And it took until midway to the third to throw a pass beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage. Or I'm sorry, complete a pass beyond five yards of the line of scrimmage. I know this offense wasn't going to be as good without without Darnold. It was definitely not going to be as good when Simeon left as well. But they had to be better than what they was. There was absolutely no excuse for what that offense did on Monday night. 
And Gase really seemed to contradict himself, too, because he said the reason they weren't able to be um, more inventive on offense is because they didn't have the time because of all the pressure they were getting from Garrett. But then he said the reason that he didn't bring in you know, extra, you mentioned chipping with the running back or, or a little extra help to, to block Garrett is because he wanted to get the ball out quick. So did he want to get the ball out quick or did he want to go downfield because neither was working and he didn't seem to do the things to allow either of them to work. And then he talked about both of them after the game. It just, he seemed to work himself into a spiral there. And I just, I just don't understand it. Um, as far as Beecham goes, I mean, it's Miles Garrett, I mean, Miles Garrett's great. He's former, you know, number one pick and everything. Uh, he had the three sacks, but Beecham also had three penalties because of Garrett's pressure. Overall, five quarterback hits. Is Garrett that good, or is this a real problem with Kelvin Beecham? Uh, it, look, when you're <laughs> there, was a play there from from Miles Garrett. I, I think it came. I think it came in the first half. Maybe it was in the third quarter where he did not put a pass rush on Kelvin Beecham. He didn't swim around. He didn't beat him off the ball. Uh, he, he didn't swim. He didn't strafe. He didn't do any of that. He quite literally just ran directly into Kelvin Beecham. <laughs> just ran into him. And he drove Kelvin Beecham back into Luke Falk and sacked Luke Falk. There was no pass rushing move. Again, there was nothing creative. There was nothing unique there for Miles Garrett. He just said... Okay, what's the quickest way from point A to point B? Let's just go straight ahead and see if that works. And it did. That's a big concern with Kelvin Beecham because, again, you expect Miles Garrett to beat up on most left tackles that, that aren't the elite-level guys, and Kelvin Beecham is not an elite-level left tackle. You want to believe he's an average to slightly above-average left tackle, someone who's probably not going to be on the Jets next year, and someone that, that Joe Douglas, a GM, is definitely going to look to upgrade in the offseason. But he's got to be better than that. But at the same time, Tim, when – like, here's the thing. The, the Browns' defense compiled four quarterback sacks, right? And I think it was eight quarterback hits. That That's what he that's what this defense pieced together. So you look at that, you're like, man, this Jets offensive line had a bad day. And they did. They, they did perform very poorly throughout the day. But five of those eight quarterback hits and three of those four sacks came from one guy, Miles Garrett. And in addition, while he was lined up the majority of the time on Kelvin Beecham, I know one of his sacks, he came untouched, which again, could be Beecham, could be someone else. Beecham was also flagged three times for holding hands to the face, that kind of stuff, you know, basically snap infractions, trying to slow Miles Garrett or someone else down. That's just bad. And again, this just goes back to, to kind of what we were just talking about, where when you see a player struggling like that, when you realize that, that's when the coaches need to make in-game adjustments to hide that weakness. And you do that by taking Ryan Griffin, the Jets tight end, who I don't think he caught a pass uh, uh, last night. In fact, I can confirm, I'm sorry, he had one target. He didn't catch a single pass last night. That's when you take him and say, hey, look, we're lining you up over over Kelvin Beecham and we're going to ask you to just chip him as you, before you release or just sit there and straight up block who's ever near Kelvin Beecham to try to get our quarterback more time and develop something down the field. That's when you do things like that. And it, look, Todd Bowles, the, the, the Jets' last head coach, was ridiculed uh, horrifically for his inability to make in-game adjustments. Well, this is now, again, Gase has to see this. And I get the way that you can counter a pass rush and you can counter an elite thing is get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quick. Just boom. Snap the ball, throw it. Snap the ball, throw it. Three-step drops. Make sure that ball is out of his hands within three seconds. The problem is that it wasn't working 
Monday night. It wasn't working because the Jets offense wasn't moving the ball. The Jets offense wasn't scoring points. This team has scored 11 points in two games. So something needs to change. And if Adam Gase is as innovative as people want to believe, he needs to find a way to change it. And he did not do it. Whether it was Kelvin Beecham, whether it was Ryan Khalil struggles, Brian Winters, Brandon Shell, the defensive line from the from the Browns, doesn't matter. Something needs to change. And again, the other thing to remember, this Browns defense team gave up 43 points to the Titans last week. Titans stink. Titans aren't a good football team. <laughs> and the Brown and they, they dropped 43 on the Browns. The Jets managed three. You think they could at least get to double digits, even with their third-string quarterback? Yeah, it's bad. And Garrett actually said after the game that yeah, there was three penalties called, but there was a lot more of them than that from Beecham that they could have been called. They don't all get called. I guess the um, as far as creativity goes, and you you know the lack of creativity early in the game um, with the backup quarterback in at that point still in Simeon, uh, they did put Bell into the Wildcat a little bit. It yeah, didn't work, real, real but that wild. was that hasn't worked since two thousand. Right, exactly. It's it's like okay, we're trying to be creative, but we're using an old offensive scheme that has been figured out in the NFL, and they threw to Bell so much. I know he's the he's the best player. He's the most talented guy on the field for you. But 10 receptions, 61 yards. He had 31 touches, but none of it seemed to have a factor in the game in any way. So you're using Bell, but they don't seem to even be using him the right way. Yeah, I mean, look, their, their offense was Bell left, Bell right, Bell up the middle, throw to Bell punt. Like, that. that's pretty much what mm-hmm. the Jets did. And, and again, right. it, like Bell had a tremendous game. He did everything he could to will the Jets to win. He had but some when, real wow moments. Along yeah, the way too, yeah, yeah, he really did. The hurdle was amazing. Yep. Even the play where he fumbled, his ability to stay on the sideline, it really made, I mean, it really was remarkable. But again, he now is essentially the only player on offense. And you know, here's here's another thing that I, that I go back to, Tim, and, and something that really stood out to me more than anything else is, is that you talk about the Jets receivers, right? This was supposed to be a, uh, uh, a, a huge breakout year for Robbie Anderson, right? Contract season. Uh, Adam Gase is going to use him more than than what other people did. It's supposed to be like this brand new, brand new Robbie Anderson, brand new offense, brand new everything. All this, all this fun stuff for the Jets. Well, you are now in a situation where Robbie Anderson last night, right? You look at the stats. You see four catches, eighty-one yards. That looks pretty good. He created under two yards of separation according to NFL's Next Gen stats. He created under two yards of separation, right? That leaves the Jets. That is, that is the average separation created by an NFL receiver is 2.83 yards. That's the average for, for an NFL receiver to, to create his separation is 2.83 yards. Robbie Anderson created 1.95 yards of separation according to NFL's next-gen stats. Jamison Crowder, who, all right, Quincy Nunn was out. Demarius Thomas is out. You need Jamison Crowder to step up. Four catches, 40 yards, right? Highlighted, obviously, by the 30-yard gain. He created 2.2 yards of separation. The NFL average is 2.83. So the Jets, with Le'Veon Bell in there, without the quarterback, they need other guys to step up, other guys to make a difference. And these receivers are not doing it. They need to elevate their game. They need to break free. They need to basically give, whether it's Simeon or Falk, they need to give them easy windows to throw to, and they're not doing it. So this is a collective failure from the offensive line to the receivers. Ryan Griffin, you don't want to blame. I mean, the guy's a backup tight end. To the quarterback, to the offensive game plan, everything except for Le'Veon Bell was not working. And if you're Bell, you might you might be sitting there thinking right now, you know what, man? Maybe I should have taken five mil left and gone and ran with the Ravens. Maybe that's what I should have done this offseason because it's it's brutal right now. And and I'll be honest with you, man. I wrote this after the game that this Jets offense is broken. And, and it's not just Adam Gase. Like it's it's I know it's Adam Gase's offense, but not Adam Gase is not broken. Part of his scheme is it's not working. But when you look at this, the Jets right now have issues at tight end because Herndon's out. 
receiver because their guys can't create separation, quarterback without their first and second string guy, and the offensive line is an utter embarrassment. That is a broken offense, and I don't know how you fix it. I really don't. And I especially don't know how you fix that with uh, with the pay, with you preparing for a game to Fox, preparing for a trip to Foxborough to face on the face the Patriots. Yeah, not the best opponent coming up week three. And and Demarius Thomas, who you mentioned, one catch, negative one yards. He leaves with a hamstring injury, and that's a guy that you gave up a draft pick to get from the Patriots. And and early on, obviously, there's a long way to go, but that looks like it might have been a terrible move as well. Let's look at the other side of the ball, um, which I guess was a little bit better. It certainly was early on. Um, Greg Williams dialed up some confusion. Baker Mayfield's a young quarterback, and you can see what a guy like Williams can do to a quarterback like Mayfield. He was showing man and then switching to zone on the snap and all kinds of stuff like that. Um, And Mayfield certainly looked confused early on. Now, he ended up throwing for a lot of yards and got the big 89-yard touchdown to, to Odell Beckham late. But overall, considering who was on the field and who was injured for the Jets, um, Williams, as you mentioned, kind of at the top, did a pretty good job preparing this defense to play, um, but they're not going to hold a team to two points so you can win three to two. He did everything he could, it really. Right. I mean, you, you kind of saw, and this is one of the things that makes Greg Williams, um, and one of the reasons why the Jets kind of had a, a little bit of a defensive, even with how undermanned their defense was, they had a little bit of an advantage, was that Greg Williams got a chance to see Baker Mayfield every single day in practice uh, OTAs, mini camp, training camp, the season. Then when he took over as starter, and when Greg Williams was named the interim head coach, what he did was he had his starting defense go up against the the Browns' starting offense in practice, and they basically held a scrimmage every single day, which is a big reason why a lot of people credit that team for that turnaround last year when they developed some additional toughness and they got a little fired up and they started winning some games was was because of that competitiveness in practice, which was instilled by Greg Williams of ones v ones. Every single day, we are not holding back. Um, that experience of uh, seeing Baker Mayfield every single day, I, I think really did play a role. And you saw it because what, what Greg Williams did was he gave Mayfield looks, like you said, that he'd never seen before. Yeah, he was in he was in a lot of zone, but the Jets are going to have to be in zone because they don't have cornerbacks that can cover guys one-on-one. So they're going to have to play zone coverage, which is fine because that also opens up Jamal Adams to kind of run around and, and free range a little bit and make plays and Marcus May. Uh, you know, made it made a couple of nice plays. In fact, he had a beautiful. I know he ran completely out of position on Odell's 89 yard touchdown, but the shot that Baker Mayfield took towards the end of half that was tremendous range from from uh, uh, Marcus May to not only track that ball down, but then eventually bat it away. So uh, I I I think you saw the best of what Greg Williams is uh, Monday night. And again, I mean, there there was one point in the first half where where the Browns had something like 14 minutes of possession, and the Jets had like two. And and you know the, 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 it was still just a two possession game. So this defense, the Le'Veon Bell, they did everything they could to keep the Jets in it. When you hold the Browns to to twenty three points, but like you said, really sixteen outside of that one eighty nine yard touchdown, uh, you, you're doing everything you can to win games. You really can't expect much more from a defense starting uh, uh, Nate Harrison at corner and Daryl Roberts at corner, and without a pass rusher and with Leonard Williams seemingly uh, uh, um, with uh, Leonard Williams seemingly. Uh, invisible on the field. And so I, I, I came away wildly impressed with that. I thought they played honestly a, a very good game. I don't think that Greg Williams probably should have given Odell Beckham Jr. The extra motivation that he did this week when he pulled the Odell who, and a couple of his other remarks where he questioned Beckham is one of the league's more dynamic players. That probably wasn't so smart. It was pretty clear. Um, it was, it was pretty clear that Odell or uh, Adam Gase was a little annoyed at that. 
Um, but but again, I mean, look, the, the Jets D did what they could. They they did what they could to position the Jets to to potentially win this game. Top Blake Cashman played well. It just wasn't enough. And and you're not going to win many games when your offense scores three points. You're not going to win many games when your offense has eleven in two weeks. So uh, th- this is a problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah, and they kept the team in the game to the point where you're in the third quarter there, the Jets driving a big fourth and two when they come up about a foot shy, and then, you know, the next play, Beckham goes 89 yards. Um, he that, ends up that, with— that, that, that's him, too. That, that kind of just—that that play confused me because, look, the Jets had been running everything with Bell to that point. I mean, at one point when, when uh, Simeon first went down, they ran Bell something like seven plays in a row. Right. They had a third down and two and a fourth down and two. And they didn't once just hand the ball off to their fifty-two million dollar <laughs> running. You know what Either mean? way, right? Either third or fourth, you got to yeah, give exactly. it to him once. And I would have probably said, you know what? Give it to him on third down because if he loses a yard or if he gets close, well, then suddenly you got the quarterback sneak. If he picks up a yard, quarterback sneaks down an option. He loses a yard. Well, now it's fourth and three. Now you know you got to throw the ball. But yep. to not run the ball in either play, and then on fourth down throw a swing pass to Bell, like it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me, especially in that play. I mean, Bell's touching the ball. He's already two yards behind the line of scrimmage on the swing pass, and so now he's got to pick up four yards to get the first. It just, it was really questionable play calling, and even more questionable when you consider the fact that that uh, Falk was the one that was in the game. So I mean, just just run the ball. Like sometimes offensive offensive minded guys outsmart themselves, and I really think that was an example of it from Gase. Yeah, absolutely. And I think by the book, you would think with two plays to get those yards, you you run it on one of them. I mean, it's not it's not that complicated. Beckham ended up six catches, 161 yards, and he gave a who in the postgame uh, when asked about Greg Williams. So he got his revenge verbally and on the field. We got to talk about Tremaine Johnson, though. Uh, you mentioned Nate Hairston playing and uh, until he got hurt late in the game. Then Tremaine Johnson finally gets into the game. $72.5 million man. And he was benched not because of anything he did other than not being a good cornerback, I guess. Um, he seemed after the game like he didn't see this coming, um, that he showed up at the stadium expecting to play. Do you believe that? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't believe that. he. I, well, I shouldn't say I, I don't know if he showed up expecting. I, I think he showed up to the stadium expecting to play on defense. I don't think he showed up to the stadium expecting that the only time he would see the field on defense was with under four minutes to go and because uh, Nate Harrison got hurt. I don't think right. that, but I mean, it was kind of like multiple me- the, the Jets uh, media relations staff clearly told these players to not provide specifics in terms of when uh, the, the decision was made to not play Tremaine Johnson because Harrison came out, but the, you know, at the same time, Harrison came out and he said, uh, well, he didn't see, he said, I don't remember the exact time during the week, but I found out during the week I was going to start. And then Tremaine Johnson said, well, we were. I was rotating with the starters throughout. I showed up here expecting to play. That's not like saying he showed up expecting to start, but it was right. kind of whatever. But I think the more telling part about that decision, because look, it's pretty normal for for NFL starters who show up late to meetings or whatever to be benched for like a quarter or a couple of series. So when Tremaine Johnson initially wasn't out there on the field, that's sort of what I thought happened. Was that it was an issue he had last year with Todd Bowles, where he showed up late to meetings. He ended up getting benched for the season finale against the Patriots. I saw that as like, okay, well, maybe that's something else. But then when he still wasn't out, he still wasn't out. And Adam Gase confirmed after the game that this was not disciplinary at all, that they just made the decision not to play uh, their, their 72, $72.5 million corner who they are paying to be a shutdown guy. They chose not to play him in a game where arguably the NFL's best receiver was lining up outside. That was a massive, massive indictment on the current state of Tremaine Johnson's tenure with the Jets. Because again, remember, Greg Williams was supposed to get the best out of Tremaine Johnson this season. He was supposed to finally start playing like he did with the Rams. Denard Wilson was supposed to be able to get him to that level. 
And both of these guys determined together that that Tremaine Johnson on the sideline was better for the Jets defense than Tremaine Johnson on the field. I mean, that is a massive, massive, massive shot at Tremaine Johnson. You could tell he was, I, I don't, I don't, he wasn't to the point where he had tears in his eyes when, when he was talking to us, but he was at, he was posed that question by a reporter of, are you concerned that basically your coaches don't have any faith in you to, to, to help this team win? And he took about a good five seconds before he answered. And he said, look, I'm just trying to help my team. Now, there are issues, obviously, now with Tremaine Johnson. If he's not going to play, is Tremaine Johnson want to be, going to want to be traded? Are the Jets going to try to move him? Are they going to try to recoup a draft pick for him? Something like that. He's going to be a player that is extremely hard to deal. Because that contract that the Jets signed him to uh, is not one that is easily movable. In fact, the Jets don't really have a contract out in, in uh, Tremaine Johnson's deal until after next season. So this year... He's like, they're through the 2018 season with him, obviously. The 2019 season, the Jets cannot cut him at any point right here because even as a post-June uh, 1st cut, the cap hit would be too much. In 2020, if the Jets were to release Tremaine Johnson prior to June 1, prior to June 1st, they would incur a dead money charge of $12 million and save just $3 million. So that would basically mean that they're eating $12 million on their salary cap space by just letting Tremaine Johnson go. There is a slight out after the 2020 season where the Jets can pretty much decide, do we want Tremaine Johnson or do we not Tremaine Johnson? Because they would they would have a cap hit of $8 million if they cut him in 2021 with a cap savings of $9 million. So basically, they would make a $1 million by letting Tremaine Johnson go, which is no different than really keeping him. So you kind of play the game of like, all right, do you want him? Do you not want him? They're essentially stuck with this guy at least one more year. I mean, the, the deal that he signed, the $72.5 million deal, was basically a guaranteed three-year contract where the Jets were going to be stuck with him for three years. Well, you're a game into year two games in the uh, no, actually you're a game into year two, and Tremaine Johnson's already been benched. I mean, that's a bad, bad, bad sign for the Jets, and I don't think it's getting any any better moving forward here. I mean, Tremaine Johnson didn't say if he expected to start next week against the Patriots. I don't know if I would expect him to start next week against the Patriots. Maybe this is just Greg Williams trying to light a fire under him. I don't know. We'll see. But that that development and the fact that Jets have now turned to Nate Harrison, oh boy. Oh boy! I mean, clear, clearly Adam Gase wasn't messing around when when he threw those when he threw his corners under the bus on his conference call uh, last Monday. Not good. Not a good situation at all. Um, one, I guess, silver lining again from this defense, I and mean, we talked about overall how they played pretty well. But when C.J. Mosley left Week One, obviously it all kind of came unraveled for this team. But Blake mm-hmm. Cashman uh, stepping in last night. I mean, he's not C.J. Mosley, but for a rookie on on that stage, played pretty well. No, I thought he did really well. I mean, there were a couple of plays, obviously, where he was pushed out of position. I mean, the 19-yard touchdown run by Chubb, uh, aside from Leonard Williams being blown up like he was a JV player. But, I mean, that's kind of just where you're at right now with Leonard Williams. Uh, Cashman was another guy that was kind of victimized by a block, driven out of the hole, which opened up the, the running lane for for Chubb. But, again, the guy's a rookie fifth-round pick. You're going to expect a couple of plays like that from him each week while he's playing and while he's learning and while he's getting his feet wet playing against first-team NFL snaps. But, Aside from that, man, the dude played well. Six tackles, half a sack. He had a quarterback hit, a tackle for a loss, a pass breakup. Now, the pass breakup was actually beautiful. I mean, he came on a, on an A-gap blitz and then jumped up right as Mayfield was throwing the ball and tipped it in the air. It was nearly picked off. So, uh, yeah, he, he there, are, there aren't many bright spots uh, on a, in a game where the Jets lose 23-3. to uh, With that said, uh, he, was, he was one of them. I thought Kate Cashman was one of them. 
Cashman's one and Sam Ficken's the other because the Jets yeah, for one week at least goal. have a kicker. One yeah. for one. So that's a good thing. Um, as far as fallout goes, shortly after the game, uh, it's already starting on social media a little bit. Before we get to your your food rankings, Jamal Adams has, is no longer following the Jets on Instagram. Yeah. I mean, that is the true sign that that things are out of control. Yeah, right? I mean, when not- a guy stops stops following the team on Instagram, we got to start worrying. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. I mean, we'll we'll see what comes of that. I mean, he he, he took the Jets out of his Instagram bio. Uh, he now actually he also removed the Jets from his Twitter bio. Um, I he does not follow the Jets on Instagram. He does so he doesn't follow them. And I I I think he followed them before. I don't I don't I've I don't, maybe this is now in 2020. What I need to start doing is paying attention to who players follow. On it's Instagram, all that it's all that matters. Might be time now, for me to retire now. But yeah, that's that's what I got to start doing. But. Uh, yeah, this is uh, it's it's something to watch moving forward. I mean, Adams certainly didn't seem happy uh, after after the Jets game. I mean, this is a guy who wants to win more than anything else. And since the Jets have drafted him in 2017, they're nine and 25. And and every week, Adams says the same thing about how they're going to turn it around. And he believes in them. And he's going to will the team to vic- victories. And they still just keep losing. So uh, we'll we'll have to see what happens there. I mean, I I don't I don't. Look, I don't think the Jets are going to move this guy. I mean, he's arguably their best defensive player. I don't think they're going to trade him, but uh, it's uh, it's something to it's something to, to keep note of. All right, press box food power rankings hashtag PBFPR. Um, it's a home game, which is interesting because you don't always uh, change the rankings for the MetLife Stadium no. food, but they up their game on Monday Night Football, and you have them. Wow, pushing the top 10 right now, right? At number 11. What did they bring last night? Yeah, you know, this is kind of the funny thing. And, and a lot of people, like Laura Albanese, who who writes for uh, for Newsday, she comes in every now and then to, to cover the Jets. She does a lot of baseball, but comes in every now and then to cover the Jets. She got on me a bit because I, I was one of the, I had to get to the stadium a little bit early because um, I did some TV. So I, I had to get there a little bit early. And, and as a result, I was in the food line, you know, when it first kind of came out because I had to get there early, was hungry, so I got it. So I got the food when it was super fresh. So my macaroni and cheese, was great. My barbecue chicken was a little dry, but still it was good. The green beans I thought were excellent. I'm a big green bean fan. So I thought those were really good. So I, I tried all that. I was like, man, you know what? MetLife stepped their stuff up. Like this was pretty good. So I made the jump. It's not a huge jump, but I took them from 15 to 11, which I think is probably where they will stay. And especially the cookies too, they had, they were good. Now, after I t- put that out, Laura got on me pretty good. Like she came out and basically said, what are you talking about? This food is not good. This was disgusting. This was not the mac and cheese was good. Green beans terrible. Chicken was awful. How could you possibly move them up for this? And I think she she said my taste buds are broken or something like that. Like she was really, really like she was really worked up over it. So I was like, man, I like I, I've never been this off with food before. Never. Like I've never been this off. So I went back after after the like the before kickoff. Uh, I think I probably had my first uh, sit down where I ate it around like 5.30 or so. Maybe, uh, no, I did TV. So I probably had it around like 6.30. Went back around 7.30-ish with, with two of the other guys that covered the team. And I was like, you know what? Everyone keeps saying, so I'm going to get another piece, right? I'm going to get another piece of chicken, get a little more green beans, get another mac and cheese and, and reevaluate this. I can't re-rank it. I can't change the ranking that's already out there, but I'm going to try this food again. I will say that MetLife Stadium is very, very happy that I ate this food on the first go around and ranked it on the first go around. <laughs> And not the second, because on the second go, the mac and cheese is still tight. Like that was still pretty, pretty good. I, I do have to say it was pretty damn good mac and cheese, especially when you put hot sauce on it. But the green beans were no longer fresh and crunchy. They were soggy. And the chicken, I don't know what happened, but it was extra dry and like black inside. 
So I think that like the barbecue sauce kind of like seeped in and aside from being dry and out was like black. I mean, it tasted like you were, ch- uh, it was, it was disgusting. It was every, everything that Laura was saying before about how did you rank this that highly was what I tasted on the second go around, not the first go around. So if this was, if this was re-ranked, if I was basing it on the second one, MetLife would still be at 15, potentially down to 16 because they got the first one, they moved up to 11, but Look, I have a feeling there's a couple more stadiums. I'm going to be at uh, the Ravens, like M and T Bank, I believe is what they call that. Uh, I think that one will will definitely jump uh, jump these guys uh, and, and push them down a little bit. And I think there's a couple other new stadiums. I'm going to be checking them as well and bringing up the press box food power rankings now. Uh, some new ones I'm going to try M and T and T and Paul Brown where the Bengals play. It wouldn't surprise me to see both of those guys jump the uh, jump MetLife to push them down. So that would be 14 and. And probably sink a little bit further because on, on on initial review, food was good. Second second review, testing it again, not not so good. Yeah, in Baltimore, I would imagine there's some sort of crab cake or, or something oh, involved there. That. So they're definitely going to jump up uh, there in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. Um, maybe you need to start um, putting an asterisk with some of these, whereas when you ate the food, because that seems to be a factor. And I wonder if that's been a factor throughout these rankings, as far as if you were early to the food line or late to the food line, or if that's just a MetLife stadium thing. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see that. So, so a tough, uh, a tough go for the jets and what seemed like an improved food situation may be tough there too. So overall rough night, uh, in New Jersey, for food, for Connor, for the Jets. We will move on, though. The Patriots await next Sunday, and we're going to have more on that game, of course, coming up later in the week. That episode available exclusively on The Athletic, so make sure you subscribe. This one is on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, but make sure you get your subscription going for The Athletic so you can catch all of our podcasts. Follow Twitter, uh, follow Connor on Twitter as well, uh, so you can get those rankings uh, fresh off the presses. Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. We want to thank our producer, Marissa Morris, as well. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on Friday. And before that, we're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you're going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on The Lead. You can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, 
home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I have never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Oh, what a love that. The lead. Sports up close.